<laughs> the last time I looked at you, you weren't a Jedi. <laughs> I got cold. I'm sorry. It just surprised me. I was Jedi. Okay. All right. Right here. Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Our discussion today may take us to what some might refer to as familiar territory, but I hope that as we dissect the topic of our focus, we bring a renewed insight and perspective to the text. And that text is Ephesians 6, and that topic is the armor of God. That's right, Snakebirds. In this episode, we're going to be sifting through the scriptures to discover exactly what a Christian should be wearing, namely armor. Now, we're not talking about your unique cousin's LARPing gear here, but rather the very real tools that this metaphorical armor represents. So just like we learned as a child to tie our shoes, button our shirts, and all of that simplistic stuff, those who are born again need to learn the basics in how to put on Christ as we dress for the test. So, Josh, what should we put on first? Well, first of all, I have to say, me and the McKenzie clan <laughs> are very <laughs> offended by what you said. <laughs> we meet for LARPing. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, I, have a, I have a foam sword in my closet, and <laughs> I've, I've never used it for LARPing, though. I've seen that, that foam sword. That's, <laughs> I was very... <laughs> I giggled when I saw it. <laughs> it was at Target, and I worked there, and it was on sale for me because I had an employee discount. Okay. Um, well, you know what you were saying, what should we put on first? I was thinking um, some people put on Netflix because you think about some of the modern uh, reality TV, and you've got a lot more of like Extreme Makeover. Or you've got, like, say yes to the dress. And, and that's what I think even Paul is saying here is there is a spiritual say yes to the dress code where he makes some recommendations on what we're supposed to do. And that's really what the book of Ephesians is all about. Because earlier in the book, he's saying put off certain things. Uh, in Ephesians 4, it says that you put off the old man concerning your former conduct, uh, which grows corrupt and according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Yeah, that's there's a lot there's a lot in scripture about being clothed, isn't there? There is. Uh, when I first started preparing for this episode, I was thinking that the full armor of God would be the most attire-centered scripture, but I was surprised to see just how much the Bible uses the concept of being clothed. Mm. And um, you know, one of the scriptures that that came across my desk was the Matthew 22 story about the king who threw the wedding feast. Okay. And we saw that the first guests invited represent God's original people, then the Gentiles. But then we saw someone that was at the feast that didn't belong there. And the way the intruder was identified was his clothing. 
And I found that kind of interesting. Um, he wasn't a, he wasn't clothed for the occasion, and as a result, you know, he was he was cast out. Yeah. So uh, it's important to be clothed right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going along those same lines, one of my favorite verses comes from uh, Romans thirteen, and it says in verse twelve, "The night is far spent; the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light." Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I also found scriptures that, that told us to be clothed in the Lord Jesus, to clothe others with honor, clothe ourselves with the imperishable and immortality. It's it's very cool to see all of these things to be clothed in, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's really awesome. Yeah, there's one verse. I can't think of the, the uh, address right now, but it says, even be clothed in righteousness. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, Colossians 3 uh, says to be clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love. So there's a lot to be clothed in. There's a lot in the wardrobe. Yeah, I I never even realized that the Bible was that uh, definitive or concerned about it, but it really is. Yeah. And then we get into we get into the armor, not just clothing or undergarments. We got we got some heavy heavy gear to put on, too. Yes. Yeah. And you know what's cool about this is I don't think that the armor of God was just a popular teaching series for Paul (laughs) or this token message that he kept in his back pocket for when he was asked to guest teach at a church. Uh, You know, I believe this was something that God revealed to him for the believer to better understand warfare and how to approach it because this text not only gives us a great pep talk and battle strategy, but also a redefined sense of who we're fighting against. That's true. That's true. It says... um, it's it's so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Yeah. It's the, the enemy is why we are to be battle ready with this armor. Yeah. With the proper clothing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that verse that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. I mean, so many times if we lose perspective of why we're doing what we're doing, you know, I get mad at the guy who cut me off in traffic. Mm-hmm. Or I get upset at politicians and their stances on certain things where I'm supposed to remember that it's not necessarily them we're fighting against. It's really the influencing factors that we're fighting against. That's so true. I'm glad you say that, too, because, I mean, whether our doctrinal boxes include the reality of spiritual forces currently or not doesn't really matter. Our enemy would honestly prefer us to chuckle at this verse and move on. Yeah. I think you were the one that, that pointed out in the previous episode that the devil's favorite song is a lullaby. It is. And it'd be a grave mistake for a believer to fall asleep to the facts that we are battling a spiritual movement in this world that I dare to say can be very tangible. So, um, yeah, we'll either be overcome in this spiritual battle or we'll stand firm. And that's what this whole concept in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because I was thinking about that word stand. And it's used so many times in this little passage. And I thought that was really fascinating because, you know, 
Paul goes on that says that you may be able to stand. And then he goes on later on and says, having done all to stand. And then the next verse, he says, stand therefore. And I just thought, well, I think he's trying to communicate something here. <laughs> you know? That just reminded me of the, well, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. That, yeah. <laughs> but but it, it, he's very specific on what we should stand for here. Right. So. And, and there's so many verses that talk about like, we stand in grace, which is Romans 5, 2. Uh, it says, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And then we stand in the gospel. We talk about it in First uh, Corinthians 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, wherein you stand. And then we stand in courage and strength. And that's in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says, watch, stand fast in the faith, act like men. I like that last part. Act like a man. (laughs) Act like a man. And then we stand in our faith. We stand in our liberty. We stand in our unity. We stand in the Lord. And then we stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Those are all things we stand in. And when we choose to stand, it means we're going to be attacked. It means that we shouldn't be frightened. It it means that we shouldn't droop or slouch and not go in half-hearted. It means that we are to be at attention and alert. And it means that we're not even giving a single thought to retreat. Yeah, that's so true. And that's why it's so cool that we got these, you know, six war tactics of Ephesians 6. And it, it starts us off with um, with girding thy loins, doesn't it, Josh? Which, which I know what you're thinking. This is not a term used in barbecuing. No. This is, this is um, in, in some translations, because of that, have, have, have said belt of truth. So. Oh, well, you went very uh, King James Version there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the belt of truth, or gird your loins, and the idea of girding your loins, it suggests a lot more than simply buckling a belt. No, it's it's really fascinating. It is. And one of the number one places my mind goes when I think of girding the loins is Exodus 12, when God is, he's going to kill the firstborn of Egypt, and he gives everyone these specific instructions. And one of the things God tells the Israelites is to gird their loins in order to evacuate Egypt after this first Passover. And the idea was to gather your tunic that normally hung loosely to your feet and tie it up tightly to your waist in order to get out of Dodge, as us Southerners say. Yeah. But they they were needing to leave quickly. And that's... So what what does that entail with, with girding your loins, Josh, with tying up, getting ready to go? So, I mean, of course, as you're going to run or you're going to move quickly, you could easily trip over something. And so I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but I actually saw a guide on how to gird your loins if you're wearing like a man skirt or the the, the tunic of the day. And, yeah. you know, which we don't wear because, you know, this is more modern culture and this is more modern clothing. But yeah. that made a lot of sense, especially the weather that they lived in. Oh, yeah. You know, extremely hot during the day, freezing cold at night. Um, and then just the availability of like, you know, they didn't have uh, textilers or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have a, a gap to go buy uh, jeans from. And so they would literally 
package all this up, wrap it all up, so that way it was easy to move about. Yeah, and you wouldn't want to do it sloppily either because, I mean, if it came loose during a serious situation, it could be the difference between life and death. Yes. So you needed to be able to move quickly and efficiently in it. And um, so, yeah, that that's it's um, suggestive of being on your toes, ready to move quick when the time comes. Well, and when you add the belt to it, you know, you what you're doing is you're pulling in all the loose ends, because if you are engaged in a battle, you don't want anything sticking out that can be caught or pulled on or used as a stronghold against yourself. That's true. That's true. That's, that's kind of, I wonder about these football players with long hair. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah. Tied up. Well, it, <laughs> and in football, it's legal to grab that hair. Yeah. Yeah. You so. know, I always think of the guy that has like the really long undershirt that stuck out. And the next thing you know, you see it just being, dr- yep. he, he's dragging somebody, but it's ripping. Yeah. For real. So yeah, it's, that's the whole idea of this. And one thing that I noticed that was that was interesting, um, what does it mean to gird your loins with truth? And not to be funny here, but I must ask the question, what is truth? Mm. Because as I first prepared this portion of my notes, I automatically assumed truth to mean the gospel word of God. Um, but one commentator I read pointed out that the gospel truth would be five down in relation to the sword of the spirit. And what he suggested was that to gird your loins with truth would be a ready stance of transparency. Mm. In other words, you have a clear conscience which determines exactly where you stand and that you are one who is ready to make confident and quick moves on behalf of your beliefs. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that that went deeper than my my initial thought on it. So I, I thought that was that was pretty cool because I assumed that was, you know, the word of God. Well, this is an interesting observation about that is, I don't know if you saw in the text, it says, um, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh, and yeah. then the next three are above all taking the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and taking up the helmet of salvation. Oh, nice. And so it's structured that way. Some people were saying there's the halves, which you are needing to wear continuously. They should always be part of you, who you are as a Christian. So like you said, that truth would, would be there as that transparency. And that's something that you just wear constantly. Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's really good. That's a good observation. So that's that's girding your loins, folks. That's um, that's what what it's all about. Is there anything else you had on on that, Josh? Well, one thing I thought was interesting, and I I I can relate to this is um, when you take something off. Uh, you have that sense of relaxation. I was thinking of like, um, like a big meal mentality or like Thanksgiving day, you know, we, we eat and you're like, you stuff your face. And then what's the first thing that gets done? Daddy's going to pop that belt. (laughs) 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 You you know what I do before that? I stand up, I do the shake. Oh, okay. When you do the shake, you can make room for a little more. You get a little more. Then you can pop the belt. Yeah. I mean, some of us are expert level and we wear spandex pants to Thanksgiving. Yeah. But the the idea is that when you open your belt or you unclasp it, that there's that sense of relaxation. But in a sense, when you put it on, there's a sense of readiness. There's a sense of seriousness that it's go time. And I think um, that one of the things that we realize is a belt 
for, let's just say, a Roman soldier or a Roman legionnaire, it kind of was the first piece that they needed to hold everything together. And then that was what they were going to hold their weapons on with. That's true. And so that was, it was an essential piece. Like It's a pivotal piece. It is. That's, that's yeah. a good word for it. Pivotal. Yeah. Because without it, you're not going a lot of places. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's exactly with truth because I mean, that's why we've dealt in so many podcasts with truth, because if, if the Bible isn't true, then we're wasting our time. Exactly. Yeah. So no, great points. Yeah. So, so keeping that belt on and keeping everything in place. And then, um, that leads us to number two, which is the breastplate of righteousness. Mm. And, um, I think the most obvious thing about the breastplate is what it protects. And yes. that, that would be your heart, you know, mm-hmm. um, your heart pumps life through your physical body, just like righteousness before God is key to salvation. So to put on the breastplate of righteousness would be to protect your righteousness before God. Mm. Um, I kind of went off the beaten path with the breastplate of righteousness here, but it's where I went. So I'm going to, I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Go for it. Um, a major, a major way we protect our righteousness before God is faith. We see in 1 Peter 1, 5 that faith is what keeps us saved through God's power. And we know that it's impossible to please God without faith in Hebrews eleven six. And what I found that was really interesting is in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, it refers to the breastplate of faith. Mm-hmm. And I found that really cool. Um, we see this almost inseparable relationship between faith and righteousness. And the breastplate represents the solid defense protecting us from condemnation. Mm. Um, and, and just to tie this this whole concept up, we see a, a beautiful picture of how God wore this armor for Israel in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 59. And to make a long story short, uh, God saw that there was no man to stand as an intercessor for his people plagued with sin. So in verse 17, it says that God himself fought for the people. And the two pieces of metaphorical armor he put on was the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. And the awesome thing that has changed between that time and now is Jesus has come to be that intercessor now. And we are now the ones who put on that armor, also known as Christ. Wow. We put on Christ. Yeah. And I just, man, that, that was fascinating to me. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. No, that's awesome, right? Yeah, for real. Well, I have to say this. I see your rabbit hole and I raise you one. Oh, I like it. Because <laughs> um, when I started looking into this, I found somebody who made a presentation that while Paul was living with Roman soldiers, I mean, it even says on Wikipedia, when you look up the armor of God, it says, as this is a prison epistle, which means he wrote it either from jail or in house arrest about 62 AD, the armor is what Paul would have been witnessing firsthand as he saw the arms and armor of the Roman legionnaires during his life and incarceration. So a lot of people assume and a lot of commentaries say that his um, his basis of saying, here's what Christians need to have is based on his real life observation of Roman soldiers and the equipment that they would have been armed with or carrying around. Mm. But this person that I found said that it goes much deeper because Paul was actually referencing the Old Testament for every single piece of armor 
that um, that he instructs us to to put on oh, wow. or to have. So you have the helmet and the breastplate from Isaiah fifty nine seventeen, like you said. Then we also have the the feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel. That's in Isaiah fifty two seven, which says, "How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things." And we see that Ephesians 6 and Isaiah 52 are the only passages of the Bible where the words feet, good news, and peace occur together. And then we also see, just going on, I'll cover the others real quick, that he says the belt of truth is on Isaiah 11, where it says that the coming king would wear righteousness as a belt around his waist and faithfulness as a belt around his loins. And you're going wait, the word faithfulness isn't the same as truth. Well, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses the same Greek word, aletheia, for faithfulness in Isaiah 11 that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, where our English versions translate it as truth. Oh, nice. And so, and there you go. Um, I Again, this is all stuff that I, it was kind of like blowing my mind. Yeah. And I say that all the time, but it really was. Um, Isaiah 49, 2 says, And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver he has hidden me. So that's the sword of the Spirit. Because, in other words, the Lord was preparing his servant to come as a warrior with sharp words of judgment. And in the original context, the servant was Israel, who was supposed to be God's faithful servant, equipped by him to bring light to the Gentiles. Yet in Isaiah's time... There was much that needed to be judged and condemned in Israel and Judah themselves. They were not fit to be the Lord's servant, so he had to send his servant to bring the light to them as well as to the Gentiles. This promised servant, the new Israel with a mission to historic Israel, is Jesus himself. Oh, wow. And then uh, the shield of faith, which is the last part I'll talk about before we get back to our regular scheduled program. <laughs> so <laughs> no, this, this is cool. Paul says that the Old Testament background for the phrase shield of faith also clarifies an ambiguity in Paul's imagery. When he says, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, Paul is not saying that faith in itself has remarkable defensive powers against Satan. Rather, he is saying that faith protects us from Satan's attacks because faith takes hold of the power and protection of God himself. Throughout the Old Testament, it is God, not faith, that is repeatedly described as our shield. In Genesis 15, 1, the Lord tells Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. God is our shield and refuge. He is our hiding place in the day of difficulty. His faithfulness will keep us safe when we are being shot at by arrows, flaming or otherwise. Faith becomes our shield in Paul's imagery because it is the means by which we flee to God for refuge. Oh, nice. So That's awesome. Yeah, no, and you know, that doesn't surprise me because Paul, he was trained up in the Pharisees in knowing the, the Old Testament yeah. like so well. Yeah. And he, and that doesn't surprise me at all that he would pull straight from the heart of the Old Testament. I find it so cool that the armor that we're looking at, at wearing, it was first God's and now it's ours. Oh yeah. You know, it's like it's like the the passing down of something that's so precious. That makes me want to go into another rabbit hole here. I mean, that's so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. It really is. So, yeah, I I thought that was really neat. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, something that I that I wanted to point out about the breastplate of righteousness. 
is that when we talk about righteousness, we need to make sure that we come back to the the thought that it's his that we wear on our chest. That's what's protecting our heart and our vital organs because what we um, what we rejoice in and what we are able to shield ourselves with is God's finished work. And it's not our accomplishments because when we try to, to shield ourselves with our accomplishments, we look down and what we realize is we're wearing is filthy rags. That's so true. Yeah. And I guess everything that we're looking at here, we could look at as um, is metaphorical yes. pieces of putting on Christ. Kind of the, yeah. Which is another way of just saying putting on God's strength, not ours. Yes. So, yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. All right. So that was breastplate of righteousness. Um, and number three would be to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Yes. And I always loved the word shod. Shod, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let his feet be shod. Well, if you don't know what shod <laughs> means, it's basically strap on shoes to your yes. feet. And uh, if you've ever owned horses, that's still a common term. Oh, absolutely. But um, yeah, it's it's to put on shoes. And I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, shoes protect your feet. You mm-hmm. literally can't do certain jobs without proper footwear. Yeah. I mean, especially nowadays, you know, construction, hiking, or even just on your feet all day. Um, shoes give protection and confidence to move quicker to get things done. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how the Roman army, they were so well shot in. <laughs> they had such good <laughs> shoes that it allowed them to move at a rapid pace. It was one of the reasons that they were so um, successful as a moving army is that they had good shoes. Some of them even were studded almost like cleats to give themselves good grip. Oh, wow. And um, one of the commentators I read uh, compared this to having a great foundation. Yeah. And, you know, in my mind... I've always read this in a certain way, and because I was trying to to f- figure out how to say that this is a part of the armor of God, I've always translated it to myself as like shoes or sandals of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like just when you go to put on your Air Force Ones or your Nikes <laughs> or your your Skechers or you know your New Balances or your um, for me it's just flip flops because I love flip flops. Yeah, it's. Are they? Are your feet ready to point in the direction to tell somebody about Jesus? Yeah. Like, are true. you prepared? Yeah. And I mean, honestly, if just think of going barefooted without or with shoes. I mean, you're gonna Ooh. do it much better and faster and more efficiently. Yeah. And it's just it's to shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace would basically be yet another description of readiness ready to move on behalf yes. of the gospel. Well, which it goes back to that whole um, having feet ready, having shod your feet already, Yeah, you know, where they're worn continuously. It's something that you've already put on and it's not something that's coming off because you're ready to tell somebody about the gospel, the hope that's in you. You know, and I think if there's times in my life where somebody that I've known has been struggling and maybe at that point I just wasn't, I didn't have it. Uh, locked and loaded to where I could share about the hope of Jesus in my life. And, and not that you're a gunslinger Christian, because that's a, that is a whole nother podcast, you know, because we don't want to be like that. But um, I think we said it in another episode where always be ready to give every man an answer for the hope that is in your heart. Yeah, that's true. You know, which that scripture (laughs) <laughs> as i quoted in a previous 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> holiest. Totally joking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, I was thinking as you were talking about that, another good way you could say that is making a practice of. Yeah. So you, you said you keep bringing up having, and that's a great point, I think. Having, it's something you're making a practice of. That way, at a moment's notice, it's ready. Yeah, and something that God put on my heart, especially just as a Christian for a little bit, is have a testimony. Mm-hmm. And have somebody, like even just a, a guinea pig that you can tell it to, is say, hey, can I tell you my God story? And, you yeah. know, it doesn't have to be like, there was, I was hanging on a cliff and I said, God, if you only save me, you know, then I'll tell everybody about you. It doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. I mean, just make sure it's sincere, you know, yeah. people can spot, you know, a, a gotcha story or whatever, exactly. whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Prepare something that's, that's sincere about your walk with God Yeah, that can, that can be shared with somebody. And I mean, it, it, they can relate to it. Well, I had somebody tell me one day that, you know, because we've heard some of these, I'll even call them bragamonies. Mm -hmm. I had somebody tell me one day, well, my, my God story is pretty boring. And I looked at them and I, and just in, in the Lord, I wanted to lay hands on them (laughs) because I, you know, but lovingly I said, there's, if God saved your soul and he changed you from death to life. There's no way it can be boring. Mm-hmm. And what's so cool to me is, and I, I think I saw this in this person, and I think they they saw it once we talked about it, is that maybe it's the story that we think that's boring is actually going to reach somebody else that's going through something similar to us. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of times people will have these crazy, you know, I was doing crack cocaine and all this stuff and and then all of a sudden the Lord but you know it's really it's really something to look at for somebody who has followed the Lord their whole life yeah versus somebody that had a radical experience not yeah. not that either one is better than the other no but yeah you're so right there's there's no boring god story no and there might be somebody who's been raised in the church and who's fallen into the thought that this is monotony or this is a um, this is a duty and not a devotion? Yeah. And they're the ones that need to hear how God brought you out of that and renewed your faith and renewed the excitement. So absolutely, there there is there is the um, radical like, you know, I was in the desert shoving you know sand in my ear trying to commit suicide because I have a friend who has that kind of story and it gives you chills. Yeah. But then I also get chills from the person who said, I'd been sitting in a church for 10 years and then finally something happened to where God opened my heart and came inside and and I mean that's the person that I almost you know because of the implication I almost get more excited about that person because that to me speaks louder in my heart and and what I've gone through in my life yeah that's so true In, in anybody that's born again the minute somebody, regardless of where they came from, the minute they start talking about that moment that it clicked, yeah, we all relate to that yeah. as born again believers because yeah. we're like, yeah, yeah, we're, me too, I remember that. We're geeking out, yeah, you know, and then of course, even yeah. the Bible says that the angels at that moment are like, ah, you know, yeah. they're they're partying in heaven. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, that's a great point, Josh. Okay, so to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's that's um, description of being ready again. And now we move to number four, which is the shield of faith. Now, um, one author writes this about the shield of faith. I'm just going to straight up quote it because I like the way he said it. I don't think I could do it better. So... <laughs> 
There were two kinds of shields used in ancient warfare. One smaller, carried upon the arm, and which could be used by a movement of the arm for the defense of threatened parts of the body in detail. The other, large, planted in front of the soldier, fixed in the ground, and all but covering his whole person. It is the latter which is referred to in the text. Now, that was obviously an, an older uh, yeah. <laughs> commentator there, but uh, using old English. But the idea is we have this picture of a full-bodied shield in front of the soldier. And I was thinking to myself, um, what's the point for the enemy in a shield like that? Because... I mean, that's really the whole point. Yeah. Um, Psalm 18, 2 says, My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Ooh. And so, I mean, that's that's really the whole point. If God is your shield in front of you, this full body shield, you're not going to get hit with anything. And it's, it's an awesome picture, but I think... Um, you know, the, the real reason we need to take up the shield of faith, um, it comes it comes from when we decide to step out from behind it, hmm. I think. I think that's where the danger lies. Um, perhaps we get bored or anxious or restless, or just like Peter started to give more attention to the waves around him instead of Jesus, we start to sink as these darts make contact. Yeah. So this this shield is very important. God as our shield. Yeah. Well, I came across a lot of the same things that you were talking about because one of the things that I saw, um, especially in reference to fiery darts or flaming arrows, is that a lot of times they would be fired from all kinds of directions at the soldier or at the warrior carrying the shield. And what it was meant to do was cause a panic to the point where they would drop the shield or step out of the safety of it. But you were talking about the large shield, right? Yes. And I found that, um, according to one source, I found that a Roman shield was called a scutum. And it was large as a door, and it covered the entire warrior, like you said. Yeah. And when fighting as a group, I don't know if you came across this, a phalanx of Roman soldiers could position their shields so as to form an enclosure around themselves, called a testudo, also known as a tortoise. Uh, <laughs> Tortuga. <laughs> yeah, well, this one started making me think of like, I am Maximus Aurelius. Oh, dude, for sure. You know, form a line, form a yeah. line, you know, and it's like. Stay tight. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but that I've seen it in, a, in one of the movies where they come up and all of them and they have the guys in the front and they, they put their shields down and then the guys behind them start loading them overhead. Mm. And so it's protecting them from the, the, the darts coming down. It's protecting protecting them from the darts coming around. Yeah. And all of a sudden they start moving forward. And, you know, this is why we do life together. Yeah. Because we, when we surround ourselves with good brothers and sisters and people that we trust that have our backs and have the same heart, then we're protecting one another. That's so true. And I'm so glad you mentioned the darts because these fiery darts from the evil one are very real. Mm -hmm. And these are the types of attacks, like you said, that come upon us quickly and from out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, all different angles. So, you know, I think application wise, like whether it be one of those days where we all of a sudden everything just seems to go wrong um, one thing after another or a particular temptation comes straight out of left field at us. Um, Satan knows exactly when to strike. Mm. And so this whole shield concept, it, it's extremely important 
the over the head, the from the sides, flank, all of it. You you've got to be on guard, and, and like you said, to do life with one another. That's a really good point. Yeah, and I found this interesting too. Is that the um, the shield of faith was made not only to catch fiery darts, but it was also made to extinguish them. Oh, nice. And and that's what faith does. Yeah. You know, because you combat faith, and I let's just let's just call out what fiery darts can be practically. Okay. You think of like thoughts, mm-hmm. or feelings, yeah, or your imagination running wild, yeah, or fears, or even lies. All of these things are what's being hurled at us by Satan, as fiery darts, and it's the faith that we hold on to that turns them back or puts them out that stops them short from actually wounding or affecting us. That's true. And you know, oftentimes it's like, it's when we're weak or tired that Mm, Satan can strike. (laughs) And he knows that. We've had a long day, little patience. And and sometimes Satan will see that as a perfect opportunity to dangle some short-lived joy in front of us. Whether that be another night of neglecting priorities for binge-watching Netflix or... Or maybe just two drinks to settle your anxiety, which then turns into your nightly ritual for forgetting all the stress. Um, Or maybe it gets a little darker, you know, a little deeper for some people. But no matter our situation, Satan will jump on opportunities to land one of these darts. Yeah. And it it just takes one. Yeah, it does. You know, Mm -hmm. for, for a time where, you know... Like all of a sudden something gets through and then you're depressed and then you're like, well, I'm just going to go a little further. And he yeah. knows exactly when to strike and then it can it can lead to something full blown. That's true. But when we're in place behind our God, who is our shield, we're ready for that opposition. Absolutely. But we can't do it alone. Shouldn't do it alone. Yeah. And I think the key to staying behind that shield is your mental state hmm. concerning all of this, which is protected by the helmet of salvation. Hey, segue. (laughs) And so, like you said, it leads us to the helmet of salvation. You're right. That's right. So the helmet of salvation. I I previously mentioned um, 1 Thessalonians 5 regarding the breastplate of righteousness. Well, Paul continues in verse 8 to define this helmet as the hope for our salvation. Mm. And then sums that up with this in verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Mm-hmm. This this hope spoken of here, it's a hope of confidence. And, you know, like many words nowadays, hope, I think, has become one of those kind of 50-50 words, maybe, maybe not mm-hmm. words. But that's not what Paul died for. And that's not what people dedicate their lives for. This hope is what Hebrews 11.1 1 speaks of, the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Mm. So to wear the helmet of salvation, you're not only placing full confidence in the fulfillment of God's promise to you, but it is to have a conscience full of peace, mm. um, to know where you belong and to know you will be there soon. It'll give you the mental state needed for all of this armor to fall in place. Wow. So it's a mental state thing, I think, is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I found that, you know, with the 
the comparison of like the Roman helmet, a lot of times it would be made of leather and it might even have a signet of what army you're in. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's really neat because it talks more about like the identification that God would put a seal on our forehead and kind of that representation of like, Hey, we are his. Very cool. And then I even thought about how it's like the crowning act of God, this salvation that we've, we've, not earned, but it's been freely given to us because of Jesus's death on the cross. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but think of the Passover where it talked about how the children of Israel would have to paint the blood on the, the doorposts and then they would paint it on the top post. And it was that covering that that allowed the angel of the Lord to, to move on from them and not slay the firstborn in their household. Like you mentioned earlier when they were supposed to gird up their loins. Yeah. And so I couldn't help but think, that it's the blood of Jesus that covers us so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees his son's righteousness and he looks at us through blood colored lenses and he sees his son's righteousness. And, and that's what I think of the helmet of salvation as is that when we put that on, it's a gift that we've freely been given. And it's just representative of the hope that not only that we have, that we are saved, but the hope that as we fight this battle in Christ, the one that we're fighting not for victory, but from a place of victory, that we will be saved as we persevere and as we continue in a sense of progressive sanctification, as we push on towards that high call of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. The helmet of salvation. I mean, that's talk about the most pivotal piece, being saved. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that, no soldier in a battle would be without. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're without your helmet, you're you're toast. You, yeah. So to to wear the helmet of salvation, you're protecting the most important thing, mm-hmm. and not you even. It's it's God. Yeah. It's like you said. It's it's His covering over us. Yeah. So before we move on from the helmet of salvation, um, just as a practical question, I was wondering what you thought about this, since it goes on your head. Do you think it helps protect your thought life? Well, I, I do think that all of the pieces of armor correlate together, um, but yeah, I guess I guess I do. That's that's a good point. Yeah, I, I was thinking like maybe even your belief system in your salvation, and and of course we know that salvation really comes from belief and belief alone. So I just I didn't know if it applies to the brain necessarily. But I mean, the Bible does tell us to take every thought captive, and I, I maybe what you said is the best, where uh, they all work together to protect your thought life. Yeah, you know that honestly, it, it makes me think of something I heard the other day, and it's not in my notes or anything, but it's I think it went, "What you do is a direct result of what you believe." Oh, okay. and it was speaking. Uh, this whole idea of of knowing you're saved. Yeah, and so. The things you do, these other pieces of armor, everything, all of this, what you do is a direct result of what you believe. Hmm. And, and that's that's what's in your brain. That's that's the knowing of, of having salvation. And if you don't know if you have salvation, none of this other stuff is going to fall into place. Yeah. So... I wish I almost wish we could do another podcast on that or something, but that's that's a fascinating thing to think about. Yeah, that brings me to think of that term: um, you behave how you believe. Mm-hmm. And and I know that there's behavior modification, so you have to be careful on that one. But oh, yeah. it sounds very similar because 
like our our morals are our things we act out are going to be shaped by yeah. what we hold hold truth to i think the example he used too was like if you were fixing to commit a sin that you didn't think anybody was watching on and and all of a sudden like isis broke down the door and they said i'm i'm going to shoot your wife if you do that oh. he says you're for sure 100% not you're going to abandon whatever you were going to do and you're yeah. not going to do it because you believe that's going to happen. And I he was talking about if you really believe in your salvation and all this stuff is real, you're going to act like it. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's kind of the example he threw out there and that, that's just right off the cuff. But yeah. yeah, no, that's that's a fascinating thing to mm. think about. Well, I just I know sometimes we look at the the um, armor of God very practically and you talk about the breastplate of righteousness covers your heart and your vital organs or like yeah. the belt does certain things or you hide behind the shield of faith so I was thinking of just the helmet and it's like well there's your head you know and mm-hmm. and we have so much that goes on in our heads you know and, and we talked about even with Satan's strongholds that's one of the areas that he goes for the most Yeah, and that's where he's reaching people um, especially with a lot of deception is their brains and their belief systems and their, their doubts. Especially nowadays. Yeah. I mean, everybody's an expert with Google. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's the information <laughs> yeah. age. Yeah. He, he makes everyone feel like they're an expert. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. We were talking to somebody yesterday who said they self-diagnosed their disease on Google. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've heard that so much. <laughs> Which they were so off. They were way off. But yeah. It made me laugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't go to Mayo Clinic or uh, what's the other one? WebMD. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, goodness. You're going you're gonna to check in with a sniffly nose and walk out with stage four, you know, fixing diitis. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, that's that's a good point. I, li- I like that that whole avenue you went down there. That's cool. Cool. Okay, so um, number six. This is now this one is interesting because this is our first weapon of offense. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and it is the sword of the spirit, which yes. is the word of God. <laughs> it's dude. This is the bomb right here. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to be completely honest here. I guess I've always misunderstood this verse because when I read what John Corson wrote about it, it was completely different than my assumption. So I'm going to go ahead and just read what he wrote about this to kick us off here. Okay. And um, yeah, so here it goes. And it, to my luck, it starts out with a Greek word, so <laughs> hopefully I don't butcher it. Uh, makira, the Greek word translated sword refers not to a big battle sword, but to a small dagger for use in hand-to-hand combat. Rima, the Greek word translated word, refers not to the Bible, but to an exact spoken word. Therefore, the idea here is that you'll have just the right word for the right person at the right time. As you study and meditate upon the full counsel of the written word of God, the Rima word, the precise word, will come to you the moment you need to do exacting surgery regarding any specific situation. Wow. And that that threw me for a loop because it, it shows that getting to know the heart of God through written scripture is what prepares us to be spoken through. Mm. Um, oftentimes we focus on what God did 
in the past, but here we see that the the sword of the spirit is how God moves in the present. Mm. So that that threw me for a loop. I thought that was really, really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I read actually that same thing in prep for this. So I started to think about it because a lot of times, you know, me being maybe the nerdy background, I always think of like the sword of the spirit and you see like the anime drawings or whatever. And it's this this gigantic sword. And I think of like Lord of the Rings and it's like a claymore or some giant broadsword. But in my mind, what even John Corson was trying to say, or maybe what the word is trying to say, is it's more like a hobbit sword, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's made for more like hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. And even the Roman legionnaire swords, they weren't giant. They they actually looked more like daggers, you know. And I think of um, maybe the, the opposite presentation of that is that Jesus was able to use the word of God like a weapon, because if you think about, um, I think it's Matthew chapter four, where he was tempted by Satan, what was his weapon of offense or, or deflection? Satan would say, oh, isn't it written thus and thus and thus? And mm-hmm. Jesus goes, but it's also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he was oh, yeah. using scripture to combat the devil. And, you know, I, I read that something about this is the only offensive weapon that the armor of God offers. And one commentator said, that's because it's the stinking word of God. You don't need anything else. And I was like, I was all reading it at my desk going, yeah, you know, I was all excited because I mean, that makes so much more sense to me. Yeah. No. Yeah. And you know, something, something to consider too, is this idea I've heard before where someone uses the word of God to beat others over the head with. Yeah. And I just, I want to address that because, I mean, technically, those people aren't authorized to use the sword in that way. Mm. Um, there, there are ways about going, there are ways to go about speaking into the lives of others. And sometimes the person waving the Bible around like a ball and chain are the ones that need a word. And I just, it, I think it's misunderstood the sword of the spirit here. Mm. So um, that that was one thing that I, that I thought about. Yeah, this also made me think of like Hebrews four twelve, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, the discernment of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Mm. Yeah, it it cuts deep when it hits you. Mm-hmm. When when it's when it's doing what it's supposed to when you've received it correctly. Yeah. but you have to be open to it. Yes, you do. And yeah. I yeah, and and you have to know it. Because a weapon in the hand of a novice can be a dangerous thing. That's true. I mean, think about when used properly, a scalpel can make life-saving incisions. But when wielded out of place, that same scalpel can drain life from somebody who needed help. Oh, wow. And that's, you know, we don't use it as a weapon to to beat others down. But like you said, it, it, when you receive it, it, it pierces, it pierces you. Mm. I mean, I've heard it said, uh, one pastor say, do you read the word of God or do you let it read you? Mm. And I think that's, that's a really good way to say it too, but that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, like even, uh, second Timothy, is it two fifteen that says rightly dividing the word of truth study to show thyself approved a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Yeah, which is what the whole point of of that skill is about, and and raising people up. I think that's part of our job of discipleship. Kind of like uh, we talked about with Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, is they helped sharpen that blade. They helped get him ready to to 
um, wield this weapon well. Yeah, that's true. I didn't mean to use all those W's. (laughs) (laughs) But no, no. And this is, this is snake bird, isn't it? Yeah. Because I mean, there's, there's, different ways you can you can use this weapon yeah i mean it can be a claymore you know it can it can do some great things in 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 different ways but you gotta you gotta know how to rightly divide it well and that makes me sad because i can think of so many circumstances where either on tv or on youtube i've seen people that say they represent god who are misusing this weapon yeah misusing this tool for personal gain or for um, a following or just because there's ignorance and they haven't been um, trained on how to use it or um, they haven't done the work to understand the context of what they're saying. And, and I think, you know, it all comes back to Paul's heart for this. And, and his heart was when these things all work together, they work together to clothe you like God would have intended. Yeah. I think, I think we have to be plugged into the heart of God before this weapon can be used. Mm-hmm. And it's weird even calling, you know, the word of God a weapon. Yeah. But it is. And so we have to be plugged into his heart for sure. For sure. You know, I'm so thankful for the armor of God. And I think that it's just one of those things that I want to even put on post-it notes around my house of saying, are you prepared today? Have you walked through this mental process of saying, I am wearing the breastplate of righteousness. I have girded myself with the belt of truth and I've put on the shoes of the preparedness of the gospel, shoes of the gospel. Yeah. And then on top of that, wearing the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and do I have the sword of the spirit in my hand? Yeah, that that whole having, making a practice of uh, uh, every day is so important for every Christian. Yeah, so, I mean, that would be our encouragement today is that bring this to the forefront of your devotional life. Bring this to the forefront of your morning prayer. If you get up, you know, include this in your prayer. Just say, God, you know, here I come and I'm willing to be used today. Help me to put these things on. Absolutely. I think that's just a great uh, discipline to learn. So, snake birds, did we miss anything? Is there anything that you'd like to say about the armor of God? Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Absolutely. We always encourage you guys, reach out to us um, by Facebook or Messenger email. We've got in, we're also, guys, we're on some new platforms, I believe. Isn't that right, Josh? That's right. Uh, right now, you can listen to us on a bunch of different platforms. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify. Just search for us in the podcast area of Spotify. Or we're on Google Play Music. And then we're on several smaller uh, podcast networks like Overcast or um, Stitcher. <laughs> There's some things that I've never even heard of that we're on, and people are finding <laughs> us on there. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. And what's cool, too, is we can, you know, we've got an Alexa now in the house. <laughs> and I uh, the other day, I finally tried it, even though I don't like Alexas because I think, you know, the whole Skynet thing. <laughs> I, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist, guys. I don't like robots taking over the world, but it's kind of cool to say 
Alexa, play Snakebird Podcast. And it does it. So yeah. give it a try. Yeah. Play the Snakebird Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Oh, you got to say all that? Try it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So try check us out on these platforms, guys. It doesn't matter if you got an Android or an Apple phone. You can find the Snakebird Podcast. And um, hey, if, if this podcast has benefited you, um, we think it might benefit more people. So please share it with your friends and family on whatever platform you're on and um, give us a good rating if you find it in your heart because that really makes more of a difference than people realize in getting us out to more people yeah yeah and if you have a chance come and leave us a review yep and you don't have to be real flowery if you don't feel like it but you know if, if God is working in your lives um, that would be awesome and then if you see comments or uh, posts that we put on Facebook if you can leave a comment saying hey this is what I thought of the episode it would go a long way as well it sounds like we're asking for a lot we're not we're just trying to reach more people with this absolutely and we want this to be a community so remember if y'all got prayer requests or anything like that reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you guys. We, we thrive on your feedback. Yeah, one of the best ways to reach us with those prayer requests is through our Facebook. You can send us a direct message, or you can also email us at connect at basnakebird.com. That's the letters B-E and then A, snakebird.com. So, snakebirds, always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to wear the full armor of God. And be a snakebird. Snake